0: Bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We have unique opportunity, Lord's Supper Sunday and also Memorial Day weekend. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I want to thank you. And what a what a day to remember and to remember those who have died. Lord, uh, whether that is the person who died for our freedoms uh, as they fought in war, whether that is those who serve so that we'd have the freedom and they're no longer with us, Uh, whether that is the the person who died in the line of duty protecting other people's lives. Uh, Lord, we remember those sacrifices that have made, not just for the liberty of our country and the freedom that we have as a nation, but also, Lord, for the freedom we have to preach the gospel. And give people everywhere ultimate solutions because they don't affect just this life and they deal with, with the eternal life, with life after death, with, with life ever, everlasting. And so, Father, I pray you'd be with us today. Lord, help us learn from this passage exactly how we should approach the things that we've been faced with this week. Lord, we, we stand before you as a people in confusion of face hmm. for our nation. And Lord, we don't, we don't know what to do. Every, everyone says it has to change. And in all this time, we've, we've never found the things to change it, except for the things that we found in you. So Lord, I look to you today. I pray you'd speak to our hearts, even as we have this Lord's Supper time together. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. John, chapter 12. None of this makes sense, not the death of a soldier in battle, not the death of a child on schoolyard, apart from the historical record of the Bible, which tells us why we live in the situation and the condition we live in. And then goes on to tell us exactly how God's going to make it all right, how he's going to right everything that's wrong, how he's going to pay back every every person who deserves something, and how he's going to rescue all those who were innocent. Because it's in the Bible we see how Adam turned humanity over to the devil. And it's in the Bible that we hear and we learn how God did everything necessary. (coughs) Not just putting himself in harm's way, but actually becoming the sacrifice for us. And not just to save our life in this life, but to save our life everlastingly. So let's focus here today in John chapter 12 as it leads us to deal with ourselves in faith and with others by the gospel. So I want to give you my thesis for our sermon today and the study that we have together. And the thesis is this, we must see Jesus in the Lord's Supper. And I don't know what else you see and everything else that we're looking at. There's been so much grief in the last week on all sorts of different levels. And so let's focus on the Lord's today, because if it's ever going to be corrected in your life, or the life of your friends, family, and and neighbors, your loved ones, they must see Jesus. (coughs) Excuse me, and we must see Jesus in the Lord's Supper. So let me take you to our text, John chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. So six days pre-Passover, Jesus is reported to be in Bethany next to Jerusalem, sharing a meal with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, this was the Lazarus who died in the last chapter of John's gospel. But Jesus, who was waiting through his own grief, and Jesus, who had had to navigate the family's bereavement-provoked protest, regarding his request to reopen their brother's grave. And Jesus, who lifted his hands in prayer to the father and spoke over a tomb, words that to onlookers sounded utterly insane, saying, Lazarus, come forth. All it took was Jesus. All it took to solve it was just Jesus. Jesus and a dead man who was already embalmed in the customary spices. Jesus and a dead man, already wrapped in the shroud for burial, Jesus and a dead man entombed for four whole days already. He waited four days before deconstructing the dogged design of death to decompose us and to bring their brother back to life again. Now, what does, that, what does that say? Why did he wait four days? He didn't have to. I mean, he didn't even have to let Lazarus die, but he did. Certainly, didn't have to take four days to get there. And there are all sorts of things you can read in the commentaries about why it took four days. I'll tell you why it took four days. He took four days because 19 young lives, 10 years of age, were snuffed out this last week. And it will be a while before we see him again. So he took four days. Um, John chapter 12, verse 2. So once Jesus raises Lazarus to life, I don't know if you can imagine the rejoicing when the 19 children of Uvalde are raised back to life or the uh, the others that were uh, killed in Buffalo, New York. Or uh, I forget, I think it was 30 or so in india this last week i mean can you imagine the rejoicing when they are raised back to life restored to their parents and family who are also born again i mean the kids are covered by the blood of jesus automatically they're just innocent children but for all their family who had trusted jesus for eternal life can you imagine the rejoicing when they're brought back together what should our response be Well, we see it right here in verse 2. There, uh, there there in Bethany, they made Jesus a supper. Okay, so I'm just going to say I think this whole story is a picture, a type, a picture, if you will, of what we will get to experience together after the second coming of Christ, after the judgment seat of Christ, when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all of our lost loved ones are who trusted Jesus for eternal life, they're raised back to life again with us. They made Jesus a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. So Martha is in the kitchen. She's cooking up a storm. Lazarus is laughing at the high school graduation picture that his sisters had propped up on the casket back when he had been dead. And now the whole scene turns into a worship service because verse three tells us, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, normally that was only done with incense and they used incense at the temple, but the, but, but the, picture is incense is a picture of prayer and that's not what this ointment this spikenard this perfume represented i mean of all the things you could say about mary you have to say that she excelled in loving jesus mary was guilty of love in the first degree when it came to jesus I mean, in Luke chapter 10, she sits at the feet of Jesus while he's teaching, and it's as if she is saying, Lord, I want you. In John chapter 11, she sat at the feet after her brother Lazarus had died and sat at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, I need you. And now the third time, she is once again sitting at the feet of Jesus, and her actions simply seem to say, Lord, I love you. Mary's past was both poignant and painful, and she embarrassed everybody in the house except Jesus. But she especially embarrassed two people, Judas, an apostle, and Simon, a Pharisee. And so verse 4 tells us, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Okay, um, one, one day's wage, that was one pence. 300 pence is an entire year, year's wages for a man. Where did Mary come up with this? I mean, obviously, that was her whole life savings. But that's the appropriate point. That's the appropriate. So I'd be like, it will be like us casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus described in the book of Revelation. At least those of us who have them. And so, uh, you know, and I, you know, I look at this and I say, okay, I know why. I think I know why John wrote that in there. I think I know why God has that for us. It's just like Peter wrote in his epistles. He said, you know, I need to write to you some things by way of remembrance by way of memory, memorializing, I need to write. I need, you know, I wanted to write to you on this other topic, but I discovered you needed to be reminded of things that you already know. I mean, one of the things I know I need to be reminded about, I think all of us do at this time, is giving. One thing is giving. I mean, Mary gave all that she had. This is not a church that asks, us, asks you to give all your life savings. But you know what? You ought to tithe. Because 10% is so small. And God says, look, just take that off the top. Make that the first fruits. Give it to me. And then you can know I'm going to bless the rest. So Judas knows what her pound of ointment is worth. And to him, that's a waste of money. Well, I'm not, I can't tie. That's a waste of money. I need it. You know, I got bills to pay. I need it over here. And the amazing thing about how Jesus defends Mary is that he does it against his own apostle. And his amazing defense is, Mary actually believes what I say. Not just Judas, but none of the rest of y'all are believing what I say when I tell you I'm going up to this Passover to suffer and be killed. Well, she heard the same thing you guys heard, only she believed it. Now she's, she doesn't know if she'll have the chance to do this after I'm dead. She's doing it in advance. So she lets down her freshly weaved hair. She takes out her beauty shop braids, and she cracks a seal on a king-sized bottle of Chanel Number no. 5. And without regard for public perception, private interpretation, or prohibitive cost, she anoints the head and the feet of Jesus and dries them with her tears. Not with a towel, not with a napkin. I mean, she washes her feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. What woman does that? Some people say they have PTSD. And they get overcome from trauma in their past. Mary got overcome with thanksgiving that the trauma was now in her past. As it will be when we see Jesus. And everyone who died in Buffalo, and everyone who died in in Uvalde, and everyone all the loved ones that we have lost who also trusted Jesus, well, they're going to be coming alive and... You know what? Since we have that hope, our PTSD ought to be in the past. Our thanksgiving has to be now. This is what the Lord's Supper reminds us of. He suffered for us. And the nature of His suffering was to take away all the sting out of the pain that we suffer right now so that we can in this life rejoice and serve Him, and other people see it and say, "Man, what? How, why are you doing that? Man, I got a hope. I've got a hope of things beyond this life. And you can't see it with with the physical eye, but you can see it with the eye of faith. So, I think every believer ought to be able to sing with A. J. Gordon: My Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art mine. For Thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, if ever I loved thee. My Jesus, tis now. Do you love him now? I mean, I know you say, oh, how I love Jesus. But I want to know if you love Jesus enough to do three things, which we observe at this Lord's Supper. Number one, do you love him enough to see that you're a sinner and decide to trust Jesus for everlasting life. You know that's an important thing. That's a precursor to really being able to observe and celebrate the Lord's supper with us as you should. Uh you need to be saved. You need to have seen that you're the sinner. You you we are the sinner. You know it's not the person in Texas who was the sinner. I mean the amazing thing we are, you know, uh, we are, we are so polarized and the, you know, as a country, and Satan's agenda with that is to keep us divided as believers, so that as believers, we are divided from the gospel. And so there are two sides, and you choose sides, and you say, well, uh, you know what? It's mental health. Well, guess what? He had no mental health issues. It was not a mental health problem. You say, well, okay, then I'm on the other side, and the, you know, the, the problem is legislation to do this and that. You know what? He was background checked. So this this incident in particular shows you. And it's not just he's why is it? It's not it's not one side or the other. The problem is the person. And it's not just that he's the person. We are the person. It's not. Y'all have sinned, it is all have sinned, and you may not be as bad as him, but you are yet as bad off. That is why we need Jesus. So do you love him enough to be so convinced that his promise of eternal life for believing in him is actually true, and therefore you pray and you ask God to save you, so that you are born again. Do you, do you yet believe you are so bad? You need to be born again. That is step number one. See, the other offend, I want to show you the other offended person, Luke chapter seven. I think you can see this reference on your handout. Other offended person was actually, uh, so, you know, somebody sitting next to you, let's say. So, somebody, somebody even in here with us today. It was this religious fundamentalist named Simon, and uh, Luke 7, verse 37 says, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears, and did wipe them with her, the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw, bidden Jesus saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he must be a failed prophet. Because if he were really a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. So who are you today? Who are you right now? Are you Mary? Are you Simon? Are you Mary? Are you Judas? Are you too scared of what others think to love Jesus aloud? Love Jesus out loud? Are you too scared of what other? Are you too afraid of what your finances are going to do to love Jesus with the tithe? Yeah, You know, we, we have a, such an opportunity in this Lord's Supper, this particular Sunday with everything that's happened this last week, but are you too confident in your self-righteousness to really go to the wall for Jesus right now? Do you look down on others too much to really love Jesus? And this is second. Number two, do you love him enough to show that you already got saved by being baptized by immersion? as a testimony to the fact that you believe the gospel, how Jesus died for you and now you are in Christ and you died in him and then you rose in him and you are now alive by his life. Baptism doesn't bring that to you. Baptism allows you to show that to others. You are alive by his life. And finally, number three, do you love him enough to examine yourself in the faith and get right with anyone else that you've not forgiven? or you have a grudge in your heart, because when you do that, you will be right before God. New Testament ordinances do not carry Old Testament restrictions because this is not a sacrament. It it does not mediate saving grace to you. It is, as Jesus says explicitly, a memorial of his death. We do this in memory of him. So it is something spiritual, serious, and significant. And every fifth Sunday, that is our time to really shine and show Jesus before other people in here so that we are empowered to show him before other people out there. We've got to show them we do actually love him. So you don't have to be a member of our church to participate, but you should be able to answer those three questions. So I'm going to ask you to take right now the um, little container with the communion elements that you were given as you came in. If you did not, if you snuck in, you did not get one of these and you need this for the Lord's Supper, raise your hand right now. We've got uh, some of our deacons standing around and they will get one to you. Raise your hand, just raise your hand high. And, and they did a good job this time. Last service, we missed some. This service looks like everybody got it. But if you need some, raise your hand, keep, keep your hand up until they come by uh, and give you. And if you'll... Turn it so that the bigger part is at the bottom and the smaller at the top, which has the uh, wafer of unleavened bread, and just take the flap and peel back that foil so that you can get to that small piece of unleavened bread, and uh, then hold on to that until I tell you, and we'll partake of, of it together. And if someone takes part who shouldn't, that doesn't hurt anything. It's just, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the symbolism for them that it does for the rest of us. I think what Jesus has a problem with is not people who shouldn't, you know, people who are unsaved or whatever, and they take part. I think Jesus has a problem with Christians who should be partaking, who do not love him enough to do it right who don't love him enough to give, who do not love him enough to forgive. This unleavened bread pictures the body of Christ broken for us. The Bible says not a single bone of Jesus was broken on the cross, but his body here is broken apart so that we can share it together. And it's broken and distributed so that we can be united in our love. So I'm going to ask one of our deacons, Brian Robinson, if he would come up and... Pray over the unleavened bread for us. Father God, just want to come to you for this just to hear today, Father, that I want to be like Mary. And I want to sit at your feet because of what you chose for us, the breaking of your body, to take on that suffering so that we can be with you forever that we can be presently around, Father. That is the thing that I show appreciation for. And so, Father, I just want to thank you for going through that on behalf of me, one who wasn't deserving of it, but yet you chose me instead, Father, to go through that on my behalf when I should have been in that place. So, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 26, verse 26 says, and as they were eating, Jesus, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. We know we do not deserve it. We can't even comprehend it. But Lord, we are forever grateful. So with this broken bread in our hands, let us take, eat, and remember. You know, some churches that, observe the Lord's Supper in various ways. Uh, you know, I, I suppose ours is uh, fairly uh, compact and convenient. And uh, some, you, you come up and line up and you get uh, bread and you get um, grape juice or, or uh, even wine and, and that's all good. But really, your your doing this right and your connection to God is what goes on in your spirit right now. And the prayer that you have to him and confessing any unforsaken sin and claiming the righteousness of Christ through his blood. And so now I want you to peel back the flap on the opposite side of this container so that you can open uh, the grape juice. We use grape juice because Jesus always calls it the fruit of the vine. Matthew 28, 26, verse 28 says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You now, if you have a modern Bible translation, in all likelihood, it doesn't use the word testament. It says uh, blood of the covenant, new covenant. Um, that is actually a mistranslation. And uh, King James is correct when it says New Testament because a testament requires the death of one of the two parties in order for the covenant to come into effect. So this actually is the New Testament. And your sins crushed the life out of Jesus. An infinite God died on behalf of the immeasurable wickedness you have on the inside. And it's not just the people in Buffalo. It's not just pe- you know some some person down in Texas. It's not whoever the last person was before that, and the next next person's going to be. Jesus died for the wickedness inside of you and me. And the reason we are such a failure is because somehow, somewhere, some way, some one of us did not get to one of those people who were out there snuffing out innocent life, and get to them with the hope of the gospel. Now, maybe that's overstating the case because it could very well be that somebody did. And this was simply their free will to step in line with the devil, who is a murderer from the beginning. Right now, Jesus is saying, Your, lie, your sin crushed the life out of me so that I can share everlasting life with you and the finished work of Christ brings you complete salvation. So if you know the spiritual reality your sins being cleansed by the blood of Jesus you can picture that now by drinking this cup with us together. So I'm going to ask another one of our deacons Brian Johnson come up here to the front and to lead us in a word of prayer over the cup. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today and this opportunity that we have as a body to remember uh, what was done for us, the sacrifice for us. And I thank you specifically for the shed blood um, for us. Again, we, your word tells us that uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So I thank you so much for that. And we even look at Acts chapter 20, where it says that it was God's blood that was shed. So I thank you so much for that sacrifice. Yes. Lord, I pray that. We would never forget that, and that's not just something that's a fifth Sunday thing, but something that we would remember throughout our lives. So, Lord, I thank you again for this blood that was shed for us. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 26, verse 27 says, And he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. So, Lord, we know we do not deserve it, and we cannot even comprehend it, but we are forever grateful. So now with this fruit of the vine in our hands, drink ye all of it. Back in John chapter 12, verse 9 tells us that much people of the Jews, therefore, knew Lazarus was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. I wonder how many people who know you would like to come to church with you just because they can tell Jesus has raised you to new life. And, and they want some of that also. Lazarus was a hometown hero because he's living and breathing evidence of what Jesus will do. Jesus used his own life as a down payment on what he will do in raising and restoring innocent children to life and giving you eternal life to be with them. That's the solution. A lot of things we can't control, a lot of things we cannot change, but we have a free will. We can accept that offer from God and then follow through on his mission to take it to others. So you got to, here's what you got to get before you go. Nothing is more of a threat to the enemy than you living the love Mary had for Jesus through your own life toward others. Now you can expect the same type of opposition she got, the same type of misunderstanding, same type of mockery, the same type of thing. You can expect that. But you can also expect there are gonna some people who are gonna see that and see that in you, and they're gonna, they're gonna to want to get saved. So the kind of love Mary showed is the kind of love Jesus deserves, even if nobody trusts, even if nobody else trusts him. Your own testimony of salvation is your personal perfume. And witnessing is simply a mixing of the terms of the gospel with the testimony of your love for Jesus. That's why this is ointment and not incense. And it has a similar effect, but it's not prayer. It is your testimony combined with the terms of the gospel. And when you do that, you're throwing hands at the devil because he smells it too. And you're a savor of life unto those who are going to get life, and you're a saver, a smell of death unto those who are going to refuse it. But all of the mass hatred resulting in the mass grief in New York, in Texas, and other places. It reminds me of a story of Prince Edward, in 1934, British magazine published a story of Edward and a visit that he made to a small hospital, and the hospital had 36 injured and disfigured veterans of World War One. so basically, he visits that hospital 20 years after um, their injuries in World War One, and he stops at each cot, and he shakes their hand with every veteran, and he speaks words of encouragement. And then they then they wanted to show him to the exit. And uh, Prince Edward stopped. and He said, you know, I I can count. And um, you told me there were 36 here and I've only seen 29. And the charge nurse explained that the other seven were so disfigured, they didn't want to take him to see them. But the young prince insisted, I got to visit them all. And He spoke to each one of those other veterans and he thanked them for the great sacrifice that they had made. And he assured every one of them that it would never be forgotten. And then he turned to the charge nurse again and he said, there are only six here. Where's the last one? She said, well, really, nobody's allowed to see him. He's blind, he's maimed, he's dismembered, and he is isolated in a room from which he will never leave alive. And the nurse said to the prince, please, do not ask us to, to go see him. But you know, a prince is a prince, and if he can't be dissuaded, then he gets what he wants. So the charge nurse reluctantly led him to a dark room read the story this last week of a, a preacher who went to visit the bedside of a dying saint. This particular lady was a rural, very rural area, mountainous area. and He said when he opened the door to the room, there was just a presence there. And it so overwhelmed him, it forced him. It forced him to the ground. He said, I crawled from the door to the bed to pray for that woman. And then I crawled out and shut the door. He said, I know it wasn't demonic because it wasn't oppressive, but th- there was a, a presence there that overwhelmed him. And so the prince stood there in that room, his face turned white, his lips were pursed, looking down at what had once been a fine young man. And now was just a horror to look on. And then the tears began to flow and in a lovely gesture, this royal prince bent down and kissed the cheeks of that broken war hero. Today in the Lord's Supper, we've seen our war hero in all his brokenness. And you may not want to look, I don't know, but it's right there in Isaiah 52 verse 14. They're on your handout. As many were astounded at thee so those who saw Christ on the cross it's not just that they were astonished this is a good king james word they were paralyzed turned to stone by what they saw why his visage his face was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men his flesh torn his countenance disfigured Five wounds on his body, flowing blood. You may not be able to look him in the face today, but will you stoop low enough to kiss his feet? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've ever felt ruined and like you need to be redeemed, you can be today. If you feel like you're sinking and you're in need of a Savior, he's right here. If you've been trapped by sadness and sin and sorrow, Jesus will save you now. All you have to do is trust the finished work of Jesus and believe on him for everlasting life. You know, some people think they have to change before they can come to to Christ. No, Jesus changes everything. Come to him first. All you have to do is pray. You come to him by praying. And the prayer doesn't save you, and praying doesn't save you, but praying puts you in contact. Your faith, your belief in Christ is what saves you. It's not what I tell you to do that saves you. It's you putting your trust in Him. Because to believe on Jesus means you put the weight of your trust in His finished work on the cross to save you. Just pray and tell God that you do that today. Just say, God save me for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for everlasting life. Hear Jesus, I give you my life. Go ahead and stand and bump elbows with your neighbor. Father, I pray you'd give all of us today the love that will cause us to kiss your son. To kiss your son. Judas kissed him on the cheek. Lord, we're happy to kiss his feet. Heaven's hero was broken for us. So God, I'm going to ask right now for everyone who is saved, you would allow our life to accomplish the things for eternity by your grace that we have the best opportunity to do right now. We have a better opportunity this week after the events of this week than we did before. So God, give us the power to move in love so that your will will come to pass in our lives and we can share eternal life. In the name of Jesus, amen.